Hello and welcome to this week's Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining us not in studio, but outside of the Capitol in Jefferson City is... Jason Rosenbaum of the St. Louis Beacon. I hope it's not too cold for Jason. And (laughs) in studio, where it's much warmer. Yeah, Joe Manis with the St. Louis Beacon. Well, Jason, you were... You were present yesterday for Governor Jay Nixon's, uh, we can't really call it a press conference because he didn't take any questions, but his uh, press statement, if you will, saying that he's... Press statement is a far more accurate term than press conference. Yeah, and he was was reacting to the news that the DOR is getting limited funding. They're getting, you know, full funding for, what is it, eight months? Well... A division of DOR is getting funding for eight months, and there's other reductions as well, but it's the division of motor vehicles. Well, actually, though, I mean, it's not really funding for eight months. It's two-thirds of the funding. I mean, you know what I mean? They're saying— That's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, the House and Senate are saying, well, it's full funding for for eight months, and the governor is saying no. If if you guys cut a third from the budget, then it's two-thirds funding for the year. So in response, he said that layoffs will have to occur um, as soon as, what is it, was it June or July? Ju- July, July 1st. 1st. July 1st. July 1st when the, the first day of the fiscal year. It, it was kind of an interesting series of events. I got to the Capitol yesterday at about 9.30, 10, not really, not really expecting to be caught in the DOR whirlwind an hour and a half later, but the governor started when he made this press statement about how he didn't like what the the conference committee was was doing in this instance. And as a response, he was going to lay people off and curtail services. Now, Senate Appropriations Chairman Kurt Schaefer, who kind of encountered a press skirm or scrum or barrage or whatever adjective you want to describe a lot of reporters, he says that that's an unnecessary action, that the governor doesn't have to lay people off. And by, by his logic and his argumentation, they're doing this to exert the Department of Revenue to make changes to how they issue driver's licenses. And they feel that the, the budget process is the only way to exert that pressure. And if they have made the changes that they want, which include but are not limited to going back to the way that they issued driver's license before, where they issued them on site, opposed to the way they are, I guess, now, where they're sending them through the mail, then they'll restore the rest of the funding through a supplemental budget. The governor, as Joe kind of alluded to, is interpreting it differently, that if you're taking out part of the funding, then he has to lay people off and curtail services. So... I, 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 and, and from what Schaefer said, um, there's really nothing that he can do to, you know, force the governor to do one thing or the other. This is kind of the, within the purview of his administration on how to, to deal with things like that. I mean, the legislature appropriates and the executive executes, essentially. But it's just kind of another wrinkle in this festering saga about the Department of Revenue and this, this, this driver's license situation, which seems to have enveloped the capital in recent months. Is there any indication of how many employees we're talking about would have to be laid off? 
No, I mean, this was one of the, the problems of the governor not taking questions. Right. I mean, we didn't get any other information beyond his statement, and we didn't get the follow-ups of how expansive these would be and what they would affect. And I think that's kind of why a lot of reporters were perturbed about it. And frankly, Kurt Schaefer was perturbed at reporters for coming to him and asking him questions and not really getting responses from the governor about his announcement. And, you know, that was kind of the other, I guess, wrinkle in the situation, the, the, the lack of questions from the governor. But, I mean, that's more of an inside baseball press sort of thing. But it does have some logistical consequences when you take that route because we can't really get much more information beyond what he said in the statement. Well, so. you can get it. I mean, a, we can get it from the Department of Revenue. Uh, I mean, yeah. they can at least give us uh, how many employees are in the DMV. Now, a um, couple things. Because uh, I was there in Jeff City last week when Schaefer had his marathon five-hour hearing uh, a week ago. And where a lot of this then came out. Because originally, this fight was all about the uh, scanning of the concealed carry permits and the storing of of those documents in an electronic database when people went in to get it put on as an endorsement on their driver's license so that when they so they only have to show one thing when they have to show they have a concealed carry permit well and of course this touched off a firestorm well then uh Schaefer who's head of the probes committee uh also points out that they're also scanning these other personal documents like uh, uh birth certificates and marriage licenses when you go in now uh, Schaefer was contending that they just recently started scanning, which is true just within just since last fall. But however, those documents have been mandated going back. I mean, the the Republican controlled legislature under Matt Blunt was the one that imposed the requirement that you had to show all those documents in order to get a driver's license. This and this was all about uh, kind of a precursor to. to photo ID, you know, requiring all this stuff. Now, it also, though, is in line with the federal real ID mandates because they're trying to prevent uh, fraud in the issuance of driver's licenses. And the Nixon administration has contended that's one of the reasons that it became centralized and ended up with this firm in Georgia because they um, Put up the lowest bid. I mean, and they were explaining it to Schaefer last week because he was like, why isn't done in Missouri? And they were like, well, you got there's by the law, you say we have to take the lowest bid. And this Georgia firm, which does some other states, gave us the lowest bid. So the driver's licenses now are mailed out of Georgia. Now, there's this other backdrop. While uh, yesterday, while Jason and others were at um, covering the governor and Schaefer, the House was dealing with a bill to increase the fees for various services that the fee offices, which are these 180 quasi-public, quasi-private offices that are um, run by generally politically connected people, but they actually issue, until last year, they actually issued the driver's licenses. They're still the place where you go to apply. They also do titles, driver's I mean, vehicle titles, that sort of thing. 
they want to have their fees increased because in rural Missouri especially, they're saying that a lot of these offices are running at so much as a, of a loss that they're in danger of going out of business. So, and part of it's because driver's licenses since for mm, almost 10 years now have only been once every 10 years. It used to be once every four years you had to get them renewed, not once every 10 years, which again was something that the Republicans did. And this is the kind of uh, unexpected consequences where now the fee offices in rural Missouri are having trouble because they don't have enough foot traffic. So that plus these cuts, while technically the cuts are going to affect some people in Jeff City, it is going to affect the fee offices as well. And it could be that, frankly, I mean, the governor, I mean, the DOR might start going around closing some of these fee offices. And which ones are going to get hit? Rural Missouri. So yeah. I think there's a, there's a backdrop here. And I think that maybe if the governor had taken questions yesterday, he could have gotten into some of that, and he didn't. And so... Yeah. So, yeah, has there been any explanation there as to why he decided not to take questions? Was it no, not really? I mean, I think that some members of the the press corps were understandably perturbed about that because when and and as I'm, I'm sure many listeners know, I used to I used to cover Jefferson City for the Columbia Daily Tribune and gubernatorial press briefings you know, were important to reporters, not only so we could get more information about what they were announcing, but it gives the, the press access to the governor about things that they need to ask him. Now, to be fair to Nixon, Nixon said at the beginning that he would take questions during his his availability after they passed the budget, which I guess will either be today or tomorrow. So yeah. we may get more insight about that then. Um but still, when we're writing these stories after the fact, and we don't really have a lot of follow-up or explanation, those questions kind of linger on temporarily. I would imagine when he has his press availability and when the focus will be on the budget, he will go more into depth on this, and we will probably learn more about how these cuts will will impact everyday people and the people that work for this division. Yeah, because one, one of the things you need to make clear, Missouri has line item veto. The governor yeah. cannot add to the budget, but he can take out. So, I mean, forgetting the, the, I mean, okay, if the legislature doesn't put in money in DMV, he can't put money back in, and he also can't shift money within the Department of, uh, I mean, DOR, because if they specify that only X amount is supposed to be spent in DMV, it's kind of like the sequester on a national, you know. But yeah. on the other hand, he could cut out something else. And I am I still wonder if that building that the legislators want to buy next door and convert, which is now part of the capital improvements, you just kind of wonder if that's not a little target for the governor if he gets really ticked off over what happens with DMV. I have no, I'm not basing this on anything, but it's just... You just kind of wonder. I mean, he does have a have a temper. He's known to have a temper. So are some of the legislative leaders. Yeah. Jones is known for have a temper. This could get fascinating if, um, and I wondered if that wasn't why he wasn't taking questions yesterday. Maybe he just wanted to get put it out there and not get riled up about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like speculating. That. I have no, this is not based on anything, but as one who's, 
felt the brunt of it occasionally over the years. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, he does I have a temper. I, I just want to point out, <laughs> I would say generally, whenever I've gone to a news conference, either in St. Louis or in Jefferson City, though not exclusively, there have been times where it has happened, the governor usually does take questions. Yes. And you usually can ask him about things that are not on the exact topic of what he's talking about. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to paint this picture that the governor doesn't answer or, or, or invite questions from, from the press. That's why. Just in, this, just in this instance, since he didn't, which is, which is why I think people are noticing it a little bit. Exactly. That's kind of my point. Very good so. point, because frankly, when he's in St. Louis, yeah. I mean, I've had Capitol reporters complain because... If he's in St. Louis and you show up at one of his press events, like a Medicare, Medicare, uh, he'll talk yeah. about whatever. If you ask him, you, he often wants you to ask on topic first. Yeah. But then after that, he'll take questions on almost everything, depending on how much yeah. time he has, and especially if if they know ahead of time, because they usually ask if you're going to be there, and mm-hmm. I'll usually you know send a note back saying, yeah, I'm going to ask questions about such and such, just in general. I don't and and you know, yeah, that, that's a standard fare. I didn't right. know this politically speaking would be talking about the. The uh, you know <laughs> regulations for the question, but I mean most people will do that. I mean, yeah. I remember I put out a tweet a couple of weeks ago about uh, how it was the first time I remember that Charlie Dooley was sitting down during a press availability, and somebody on Twitter misconstrued that it's like he has press availabilities all the time. I mean, you 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 yeah. had a you talked with him in October, and I was like, no. It's not his first time he's done a press availability. It's the first time he is literally sitting down during a press availability and getting comfortable while we're talking with them. We talk with him all the time, and we throw sometimes critical and tough questions at, at people like him and other people. And most of the time, you know, maybe the answer isn't sufficient to the people who are reading it, but it is kind of part of the job of being a political official that – there are regular times when the press gets to ask people questions. And, you know, the people that have been around for a while, they know how to deal with it. And, you know, Nixon has been around for a while. And I wanted to make that point because I didn't want to get the perception that he doesn't talk with people. Well, and I think that's a really good point because um, I don't know how it is in other states, but, no, Nixon has been very good about taking questions. His predecessor, Matt Blunt, was also good at that now that got Matt Blunt in trouble periodically but uh on some of the stuff he would say but he was he, he's very witty like his dad senator mm-hmm. yep. uh, Roy Blunt who also tends to take questions and hey, uh, I, I I once asked Matt Blunt whether a phrase during his speech about how he was not going to run for re-election was uh, an allusion to a Simpsons quote, and he a- he answered that. So if he can take take silliness like that from a stupid reporter like me, you know that's kind of a sign that yeah, he does have a sense of humor, and he is willing to, you know, take the brunt of of of, of, of sometimes odd questions. And Mel Carnahan and John Ashcroft were all, were kind of the same mode in that if you were at their news conference, they would usually talk to you afterwards. Well, getting back a little bit on track here, uh, tomorrow, hopefully, you will at least be able to ask Governor Nixon whether or not he plans to veto uh, some of this tax cut legislation that has been yeah. going through. What, what's the feeling out there in Jefferson City? Well, I mean, the Democrats who are opposed to it certainly hope that he vetoes it. And that would set up, I think, 
a really substantial and substantive fight during veto session. Mm -hmm. This bill, which Joe has written about extensively and which I kind of got up to speed on yesterday, kind of a wide-ranging tax cut bill. It cuts personal income taxes, business income uh, deductions. It raises those. And it also cuts corporate income taxes. Now, it's different from previous bills because the previous bills raised sales taxes, which drew the ire of Nixon and a lot of other people. And this bill also gradually phases in a lot of these tax cuts. And there are also triggers available that if general revenue is not growing at a fast enough clip, that some of the tax cuts are delayed. There, the people who support this bill, like Will Krauss of Lee's Summit or Eric Schmidt of Glendale, they're saying this is a more responsible approach to what than what Kansas did, where they cut taxes very rapidly and much less methodically are phasing in. But Democrats say, you know, these this is going to cost the state hundreds of millions of dollars when they're fully phased in. Um, they, we, the, the state has been cutting taxes for the last five, six, seven years or more, and, you know, economic growth hasn't necessarily been gangbusters um, when you look at statistics. And they really are hoping the governor vetoes this, and it forces them to bring it up in, in a veto override session and kind of see if there's enough override votes. That's going to happen with a lot of bills. It's going to be add. pretty close in terms of if they have enough votes yeah, to override this. Because in the Senate, there was a veto-proof majority that approved it. Now, approving a bill and voting to override are two different things. And I've seen over the years where, okay, the Senate had the 20—they need 23 votes. They got 24 yesterday. Sometimes you have one or two that peel off, depending on the situation. Now, the, the, the challenge facing the governor is that there are veto-proof majorities of Republicans in both chambers. So if they all stick together on something, uh, he's pretty much can be overruled. It's just they often don't. And it, the key is going to be the vote in the House. If, if the, the expected vote is what, today or, I mean, this week. I think, yeah. And it's supposed to be, I think it's supposed to be either today or tomorrow. And if the House doesn't get the 109 votes, the governor may be tempted. If it's 109 yeah. votes, I think he'll think about it. But there also may be some behind-the-scenes negotiations. Now, in line-item vetoes, he can't, like, line-item veto a tax bill. I mean, he's, yeah. you know, it's either no. the whole thing or or nothing. No, the, the other thing to consider is whether Republicans even bring this up for an override. And I think that's going to be a question of a lot of bills that get vetoed or that are expected to be vetoed in the next few months. I think with this bill in particular, they will bring it up for an override because it is a major priority in both both chambers of the General Assembly. Yeah, now, they, for some other bills that may have veto-proof majorities, um, but are maybe smaller bills, are bills that are just not as far-reaching or not seen as a big, big, big agenda, they may not use the political capital or provide more attention to some of those things. But for this bill in particular, I think that they would try to put it up for an override and I think there will be a pretty substantial battle in September, which means maybe Joe and I both have to come up here and, instead of just uh, just one of us. Yeah, so. sometimes we've we've had to do that. I think it'd be it's going to be fascinating because the, the budget has to be finished by December 10th, which is Friday, and it has to be to the governor by then. 
And uh, so that will kind of set the stage, I think, for the final week of the General Assembly and how things um, go. So the tax stuff, actually, they've got next week they can deal with. It's the the DOR and the budget stuff that's got to be done by um, Friday. By Yeah, by Friday. So that's um, going to be key in whether or not there's any behind-the-scenes hashing out of some of the discord because i think there is a link a little bit i mean just and uh so it'll be uh, fascinating now one other thing that happened just wanted to mention in passing is that the whole thing about the liquor wars that i mentioned last week uh the the fight between the the liquor distributor the two biggest liquor distributors in the state over a, a court change in the definition of franchise got its first test this week and uh Major Brands, which is based in St. Louis, won that first round. Uh, the House overwhelmingly approved a bill that basically puts the definition of franchise the way it was before. I mean, without boring listeners with a lot of technical detail, um, the reason everyone's paying attention to this is because the distributors have hired every lobbyist. In yeah. There are so many. I cannot tell you how many lobbyists I've seen and... <laughs> There were literally, I think, just a bunch of Glazers people hanging out near the Senate. I mean, I'm talking, when I say a bunch, I don't know if they were all lobbyists or employees, but I think it was just, it's just a mob of people. It's just nuts. Yeah, because I, I, I had mentioned in my story um, that uh, that reporters, since, since I'm not in Jeff City, that, that reporters who were there were remarking that the galleries were packed for the House vote, and then as soon as the vote, it, they emptied out, so they yeah. knew it was for the the liquor bill. Well, so I made some reference to lobbyists. Well, then somebody tweeted to me that actually um, this was somebody in the major brand camp who said, no, they weren't all lobbyists. Some of them were lobbyists, but some of them were employees. So apparently major yeah. brands sent a bunch of employees down there, and it sounds like Glazers did the same. So that there was a bunch of employees uh, who were down there. Uh, for the vote as well. So it uh, sounds like they also have employees now um, uh, collaring their favorite legislator to... on, on this. Lobbying their favorite legislator. Yeah, yeah I mean, and they are spending so much money. And as I wrote last week, I was in... No lobbyist wants to say on the record, but off the record, they were they were all saying how they're all making a ton of money off of this, that the distributors were just, you know, there are a lot of... A lot of money to be made in the alcohol industry, <laughs> and yeah. and a lot of it's being spent this week to uh, help a lot of lobbyists. Bottom line, you could say that this issue is bubbling over uh, tons uh, of cash for people. Uh, <laughs> Jason, I've got some bad news. What? When you come back, there might be some. You might not want to stop for fast food because there have been some protests around here. Joe, you were out at. Where were you? Were you at Jimmy I was John's? At Ferguson. I, I was at the Ferguson one. Okay. And McDonald's. There were the Jimmy John's was yesterday morning. It started at eleven. It said Jimmy John's in South St. Louis. This is fascinating because the organizers were telling me that actually Jimmy John's was kind of a wildcat. You know, every, they were all supposed to start yesterday afternoon. <laughs> they jumped the gun. <laughs> they jumped the gun. So uh some employees there, one of the workers told me later that it was four of the workers did join the, the protest outside. Mm-hmm. They're, they're protesting the minimum wage, which in Missouri is $7.35. Missouri's minimum wage right now is because of what we passed in 2006. is actually a dime more than the um, 
than the federal minimum wage. Federal minimum wage is seven twenty-five. So, but they're process testing that. They would like to see it closer to fifteen dollars. Now, this is actually part of a national movement. There's already been yeah. fast food protests in uh, Chicago and New York. Uh, it there was a, a Ferguson McDonald's Wednesday evening where there was also a rally, and some of their workers were outside. And then today, Thursday, there were supposed to be uh, estimates varied. The list I got showed at least six other fast food places. Mm-hmm. Uh, organizers are saying it could be up to 30. They're being careful how much they say. And it's not all the workers. They're, it's just the workers who agree to participate. They're estimating about 100 altogether. But it's only it's it's very limited. They're supposed to finish by Thursday night. Then they go back on the job. Now, there's union representatives who've been showing up at these restaurants to hand out flyers to the management telling them that federal law protects these workers from leaving their posts for one day. Now, there may be some... I mean, I'm not getting into the legal fight, but I'm just saying that some management may challenge that. Uh, But really, the backdrop of this is that this is arguably the first uh, shot in what could be a national long-range effort to organize um, the fast food industry, which is workers into unions. And there are several unions that are vying to uh, represent them and uh, in part to improve working conditions and in part to increase labor cloud. I mean, there's two ways of looking at this. So So who organized this, Joe? Well, um, there was there were some people I talked to yesterday. There was at least one organizer from Chicago who had come down. There was a couple union uh, people from actually the transit workers who were over from Kansas City. Uh, they they do have some support from the labor movement here in Missouri. They do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were some labor reps um, from here, although a lot of labor reps are also in the Capitol. There's also some clergy who are supporting this. Uh, Jobs with Justice, which is a, a, a community organizing group in the St. Louis area. Uh, they're participating in this and in fact they're they are doing a rally later today in U City uh, in support of the fast food workers. So it's a lot of different groups that are involved. But this is really an offshoot of what happened in Chicago and New York earlier. You can follow me on Twitter at, at CSMcDaniel. You can follow Jason on Twitter at J Rosenbaum. And you can follow Joe on Twitter at J Mannies. That's J M A N N I E S. And Jason had a couple of stories that we talked about today. You can read those at stlbeacon.org. There are even uh, a few videos in there yes. uh, that I watched of, of Nixon and Schaefer. <laughs> Schaefer's was, was pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, I feel I felt the need to include his pre-interview part. That's what I found to be most wa- interesting. When you, yeah. when you watch the Nixon one all the way through and he's not answering questions, it kind of goes together pretty well. I will just say as a personal aside, since I love using these podcasts to talk about me, 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 (laughs) I I am very happy with the fact that my new MacBook Pro has iMovie because it is so much better than Windows Movie Maker that (laughs) I've been telling random people how great it is, and I doubt that they care, even though I care a lot about this. I'm sure our listeners care so much, too. I know, and I know iMovie, Windows Movie Maker are very basic editing tools, but for someone like me who has to make yeah. stuff really quickly like that, thank you, Steve Jobs. You're <laughs> in my desk. Well, that should just about do it for the Politically Speaking <laughs> podcast brought to you by Apple. Uh, 
<laughs> we'll be back next week. Until then, so long. So long. Apple. <laughs>